Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a podcast. We ruin a horror movie just for you. Just for all of you. Hallie, I mean, I can hear it in your voice. How you feeling? You know, I am coming. I'm, I, I, I've been so fortunate, and I really dodged so many bullets this holiday season. Yeah. And then I woke up today. I'm like, well, last night even I was like, uh oh. Yeah. You, know, you, you can feel sort of like, like that pre-sick. Yeah. Like sometimes for me, it'll be like just like my face feels a little off. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. like like behind my eyes is weird, and everything's like a little warmer than it should be. And then like yeah. you wake up the next day, and you're like, well, that was the beginning of something. Yeah, I always get a body ache. Like, no matter yeah. what kind of illness it is, Ugh. it's like my— I, get, I appreciate my body's trying to, you know, they're trying to do their work, so— Brutal. Um, but, yeah, how are you doing, Allison? I'm good. I'm um, I'm on a cottage cheese kick. You and all of TikTok, I, I know. I like I like cottage cheese. What, what laid on us? What I mean? had never been—I guess I had been, like, cottage cheese agnostic before. Um, like, fair— I, I wasn't, like, grossed out by it, but it wasn't something I was eating all the time. And obviously, everybody's like, protein is all you should yes. eat now, which I'm just like, oh, this is actually more protein than my body is adjusted to eating. And I feel, like, insane for part of the day, and I think it's because of that. Um, but I found a a way I really like to eat it, if I can tell you. I'm begging I go, you, I go savory. I am not the biggest I, I sweet. I couldn't agree more. Like I like it sweet, but savory is sure. the way to go. It's just me. like I don't love starting my day sweet because it makes Same. me instantly crave salt. Um, Interesting. Okay. So English muffin, toasted. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of bays these days. Do you ever have bays English muffins? No, I'll keep my eyes open. They're uh, yeah. Please keep your eyes out for that. They're in the refrigerated section. Okay, great. So, but they're very good. They have a sourdough English muffin. So I'm just like, oh, that's some Ooh, taste. Okay. That's a little that good for the delicious. gut. English muffin, a little bit of cottage cheese, chili crisp. Mm, great. And then um, I'll make a couple of hard boiled eggs that are kind of like jammy in the middle still, mm. and I'll just like cut one of those in half and put half on each and kind of mash it down so it's like a little yolky and a little that salt and pepper. Right. Honestly, it's like, it's a lot of protein, uh, but it's also very tasty and very filling. So I just had that. Um, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I feel like um, it's interesting because we've, um, you know, growing up in the era in we, which we yes. did, uh, it was very much about like cutting calories mm. and um aerobic exercise to try to reduce the size of the body. Yeah, it was just like, like you should run six miles and eat one apple. And boy, did we. Um, uh, That's Disastrous results for, uh, I think, uh, millennials, uh, and I'm sure everyone older and younger than us. Uh, And now it's about protein and weightlifting in pursuit of not just of this, but in pursuit in large part of a bigger ass. Yes, a lot of it is for the ass. You know, and it's it's like a bigger ass. Of course, we love to see it, but then of course it creates a new um, a new co- concept of how we're supposed to be 
working on the body. Yes. And I guess it's better. I think it is better to be additive rather than subtractive. But then, yeah. of course, there are some among us it's that simply still, will never have a big ass. So it's yes. like, are you going to be punishing yourself? As, right. You know, it, I guess the problem is having a, a, a fitness standard rather than everyone is unique and, like, you should be— Try to be healthy for your own body rather than I'm going to eat cottage cheese and get jacked as much as I'd love to do that myself, yes. you know? Yeah, no, I think, you know, and as, you know, we've, we've discussed her a bit, but, like, as as problematic as Tina Fey can be, um, I remember when I was reading her book, she was talking about body image and how, like, you know, she grew up when it was just, like, be thin. Like, she's older than us, of course. Um, but then she was, like, now there's all, it's, like, ooh, like, a Kardashian or, like, a J-Lo butt. And it's like, but you also still need to have, like, um, a tiny waist. And Michelle yeah. Obama, are, and it's like, oh, just because all of these, like, parts of the body get, like, um, focused on, the mm. idea is that you have all of them. Yeah, it's sort of like they, you know, you think about, like, body positivity, which, yeah. again, we were a little bit older when that started happening. Yeah. We had already learned to hate ourselves really intensely through the culture. And the problem with that is, one, there still is hotness. Like, it's almost like we can't, yes. like, we're every, we're so uh, beholden. And obviously the, you know, the standard has traditionally been a, you know, white, cis, traditionally feminine woman. So then anyone outside of that has been punished against it. Yes. And now it's like, oh, well, we'll try to expand the category of hotness. But the issue is and always will be hotness. Yes. Because all of us throughout our life are going to pass in and out of hotness, and we're constantly supposed to punish ourselves for being out of it, rather than what I think people now have more of an idea of um, body neutrality. Yes. Which I feel like was I finally have been able to start to arrive at my in my late thirties is like, well, what am I going to do? Do this my whole fucking life? I'm going to be seventy and hating myself, or seventy and choking down pounds of cottage cheese if I don't want to, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I just hope for... It, the problem ultimately is, like, that there shouldn't be a standard and they shouldn't be punished against it. And it should right. be an act to the best of our ability under, you know, the systems we live in, having some sort of sense of ownership and pleasure in, like, your own body, yeah. you know, in the world. Feeling good in it, as good as you can feel. Like, I, yeah, that's what it should be about. Yeah, that being said, I am going to get some cottage cheese. That's I, I mean, it's really the tasty, and, like, I'm somebody who, like, I have yet to find a breakfast that keeps me full enough to not be, like, just eating chips by noon. And not that that's, like, necessarily a bad thing, but I'm like, well, I don't think it's, like, a super healthy thing all the time. Um, and this has been keeping me full enough that, like, I'm not hungry until the afternoon. And, it's, Listen, and it tastes good. As someone who often gets up at 5 in the morning and eats yeah, a Yeah, you could burger, use a high-protein filling— I, I'm going to check it out. Give it a whirl. And I have one more tiny thing. Yesterday, I had a Zoom with my uh, book editor, and because she's very pregnant and was like, I'm not going into the office anymore. And I was like, we could just Zoom. Um, our cats got to meet each other because we were on Zoom. Oh. And it was really special to like show them each other. And they were both very <laughs> upset by it. <laughs> What's her cat's name? Prune. She's a big, fluffy. Oh, my God. She wears a little diamond collar. She's a stunner. Um, and then, Cute. you know, Riz, I was like, well, she's so fancy and he's in a tux. Like, they belong together. Yeah, it's interesting, like, what their conception of each other is. Yeah, what? I was like, do you know you're looking at a cat? I don't know if he understands screens. Um, no, I can't imagine a cat would. <laughs> it's simply— I can't tell if he could, like, see, like, because their vision right. is so weird with, like, colors. Like, all pets, like, have different, like, perception for color. Like, I'm like, he can he see a screen or is it just a rectangle to him? 
That's an excellent question. And it makes me think of, I'm sure I've talked about this documentary before, but I remember this is like on Netflix like 10, 12 years ago called Technopolis. Okay. And it's basically like all these like, um, or maybe Techno- Technopolis now. Um, anywho, it's a sort of a, a sort of scaremongering, but in a way that I think perhaps we should have paid a little more attention to. Always. Uh, documentary about different technology coming. One of the ones I remember was uh, basically they'll, there's uh, now going to be like video cameras in every um, traffic light that'll be activated by sound. So there's yes. a gunshot. It just starts recording, which is that we do do that. And just sort of stuff about the police state. But then another interesting thing, but it did require um, people to have put electrodes in a cat's head. And basically, they would have a cat watch something, and then they would use the feedback to recreate it uh, digitally. So it's like trying to take what the cat is seeing and create a video image of it. And I don't think this is probably true, but it is presented in the documentary in a way that's very funny, where it's like, well, I'm not, like, afraid of this. I also don't understand why we're doing this. I don't know. We don't. There's a million things we could spend our time and resources on that isn't, (sighs) can cats see screens? And how do they enjoy movies? So, but basically what they were arguing in, in this Technopolis documentary is that when a cat looks at a human's face, it sees a cat's yes, face. Yes, 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 And Because they I think was we're like, cats. Exactly. And I was like, well, I'm glad we put electrons in a cat's brain to, like, know that. <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, that is interesting, but it's just one of those things where, like, you guys didn't want to work on climate change, huh? You want no, to do the cat's We're not going to solve head, any, uh, any degenerative quad- health issues laundry. that could probably be solved or, gonna, you know. Like cat sees. Well, uh, let's use other cats. That stands cats, for reason, doesn't cats it? see cats. Cat sees cat. Uh, um, but yeah, um, shout out to all the scientists behind that cat <laughs> electro thing. I'm sure we're using that technology. Or sure. it's probably being used on us. Yeah that's, I, yeah, that's probably just the test run for infiltrating our understanding of perception Ugh. and vision. But oh, anyway, Riz does yeah. think I'm a cat, so that's yeah. fine. Um, well, this month, um, uh, speaking of technology, yes. we wanted to do a month, and you might think, well, well this movie, we should have done this at Christmas time. Yes. Well, perhaps we should have, but yes. instead we're doing it now. Because yep. we're doing a movie about cold. Yes. These are a month of cold, cold. horror movies. It's cold now, so we're doing cold movies. <laughs> right. But it's Very also high concept. A, a celebration and a perhaps memoriam for um, a time at which... Cold will no longer exist. Yeah. You know, we're passing in. I believe, Cle- uh, sorry, Cleveland. New York just got snow, and it was we like got, they hadn't had snow in over 700 days. 701 days. days um, yeah. Since we had, like, above one, more than one inch, like, actual. But also, like, it's cold. Like, I mean, I've been complaining because I'm like, it's not winter anymore, and it's, like, 21 degrees outside. So I complained my way into regular winter. Listen, it will, we'll all be complaining whether or not it's winter or whether it is right. winter. Extreme that weather is, our way. is here to stay. Um, so without it, in that honor, we'll do a movie that, again, I don't know why we haven't done this for the yeah. multiple Christmases our podcast has existed for. But that movie is, of course, Black Christmas, between the original, the 1974 film. Um, it's got Margot Kidder. It's got uh, Olivia Hussey. And it's got a, a someone who's very dear, near and dear to uh, Allison, um, one of her faves. One we'll of my get faves. To, when we'll present when she arrives in the narrative. Okay. Um, and to get us started, Allison, um, what did you think of the Black Christmas trailer? And of course, did you watch the one for the original 70s version? Yes, I watched the right All one. Right. Thumbs um, up. There, there are several Black yes, Christmas there, remakes. I believe there are two remakes. I've seen the— 2006 and 2019, I think. Yes, I've seen the one from the aughts, but I have not seen the more recent one. And the aughts one was fine. 
fine. Like, it's just like, well, okay. It, it's certainly not the worst remake, but the yeah. original is really great, so. Um, it is very scary when someone is suffocated with a clear shower curtain or a clear plastic bag or, it, like— Yeah, it's a laundry—a uh, laundromat bag. Oh, a lot— oh, so it's dry, dry cleaning. cleaning bag. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. And it's, like, that's just such a specific image where it's, like— you can see the face of someone who's dead. It feels like they're actively dying every time you look at them. Yeah. Um, and that is a very, ch- and like that, of course, like comes up they, in the beginning and then we kind of come back. To, it's, I watched a very long trailer and I was like, I'm getting Ooh, too okay. much of the movie, but also not enough to like understand the plot. <laughs> um, That's perfect then. But um, that to me stands out as an extremely scary image that I am not looking forward to discussing. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I think it's a perfect example of like I may have seen that before in a movie, but I this is certainly hitting me hard. Using like it it's really, yeah. A, a simple sling your have around the house, you know, it's just a, a wonderful scare. Um, we also take like take a baseline scary. Okay. A baseline scary from Allison. I guess the baseline for Black Christmas would be how would how scared do you find the cost of staying in a sorority house over the holiday break when everyone else has gone home? Oof. I mean, as someone who, as an adult, stays in New York City during every holiday, I enjoy the emptiness. But I remember those days on campus in college. And I never lived in a sorority, but I did live in a big house of girls um, from the rowing team that I was friends with. And I remember, like, you know, certain people would leave. You know, your exams are over. You leave as soon as they're done. And some people have exams at the end of the exam period. And you're there later. And then, like, you leave the next— like. Having campus empty out and you're still there is a very eerie feeling, especially when you're younger and you don't quite know anything yet. (laughs) Yeah. There's something uh, I I, I do want to do a uh, horror movie set at my alma mater, Notre Dame, and it would be a a, a snowed-in situation. Yes, yes, yes. Cornell could be the same. We could do the same. And and I feel like other than that, it seems fine to me. I wouldn't be scared. But there is something about being— geographically and weather isolated. Yes. Um, now, Chilling. this isn't in this movie. In this movie, it's quite interesting because this movie, the, the cops enter the narrative pretty early oh. and then are involved in it, which I, I again, I, I have seen this movie, but I don't think I've seen this movie since I was in middle school or something. So I had forgotten what an excellent film this is. Um, and before we get started, Allison, would you like to guess the twist in Black Christmas? the twist. Would you say there's a traditional twist or is it pretty straightforward? I sure would. It is perhaps one of the traditional twists. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to guess that one of the cops, if not all of the cops, was in on the initial murder that they're investigating. Ooh, okay. And they're there to attempt to finish the job by killing the other girls. I love that. I'll say it now completely off base, but I really yeah. love if, they, if there was another remake, and I'm sure there will be, that's yeah. an excellent way yeah. to take this. Yeah. No more okay. propaganda. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let us begin ruining Black Christmas 1974. We open on that most holiest of sights, a snow-covered sorority house decorated for Christmas. And, of course, there's so much Christmas music in it. We, we, we open on Silent Night. Of course. It's, there's a children's choir later. Mm, there's there's mm, church mm, bells mm, playing. Mm, it's mm. it's great. And I think this is uh, speaks to again, uh, not a low budget film for the time, but a a, a film made with care. It was uh, directed by Bob Clark, 
um, who also did Porky's and oh. a Christmas story. Oh, well, that makes sense. The Christmas story oh, is okay. great. Um, and I guess they're like, oh, you did a Christmas movie. We'll have you do a Christmas story. And they were right. That's an excellent yeah, that, film. That really is great. That tracks. Um, and it was written by Roy Moore, who I, I don't believe is that uh, the I congressman uh, who tried to marry a 14-year-old or the fuck that was. But no, I, I, it looks to be a different gentleman, fortunately. Yes, he was accused of sexually assaulting multiple people while they were underage. <laughs> Fortunately lost uh, and ran again. Wow, what yeah. is happening in this country anyways? I hate it here. Um, it is worse and worse every day. Um, uh, we see someone arriving at the sorority house. There's a little bit of a, a festive Christmas or holiday party before break begins. And we then see a, the POV of somebody else coming towards the house, sort of Not great. wheezing, shambling. Oh, wheezing. It's like, oh, did I get invited to this party? <laughs> am, I, am I in this movie? Um, you they turn from the the door and immediately start looking in the windows so you know they're crazy. You know, so we like, okay, we're the killer's POV and we'll be cutting to the killer's POV throughout the film. Um, which I love and I used love excellently, I thought. Yeah. Um, we see sort of all these uh co-eds with their their uh boyfriends inside, and we see Barb, Margot Kidder come down the stairs, um, an icon of 70s film and television. Yes. And I like Barb because Barb is like obviously like the popular hot head bitch who also has a drinking problem. Terrific. And just comes in and starts yelling at everyone. Yes. It's like, who let the goddamn front door open? And she already has a drink. She has a drink the entire time. I love that. Um, as they're all sort of partying inside, the killer starts to climb the trellis up the side of the sorority. No. I think you gotta. No trellises on houses moving forward. I think most trellises would not sustain the weight of a serial killer. So yes. I think mostly people would be fine. He, he he or she would just rip off the side of the house. But something to think about when you're building a trellis. Um, Barb also tells everybody that they have to come to the uh, holiday party they're throwing at the common room, which seems to be like a uh, event space that any all the sororities and fraternities could use. And mm -hmm. their sorority is planning a holiday party for the underprivileged children in their area. So while Barb might be a bitch and already drunk, she is making sure that everyone is showing up. I really like that. Um, including this guy, Patrick, who is going to play Santa Claus. And I thought that was really cute, like having a college, like a bearded yeah, college yeah, yeah, guy yeah. play Santa. That's fine. And Patrick is the boyfriend of Phil, who is played by a young Andrea Martin. Ah, I mean, it's so nice to see her. A queen, an icon, the best, a the legend, funniest. and great in this movie. Good, of course she is. She's great in everything. She has like one line in something, and like she steals the show. She's incredible. Yeah. I love her so much, and I'm so happy to see her. And I um, will say, and I know we've talked about this uh, much, and not to put all on Andrew Martin, but, like, it does make you think, like, boy, I guess we really just don't casually cast Jewish people. Like, I think about, like, you know, Marvelous yeah. Miss Maisel, where it's like, yeah. well, it's just nice that, I, I just sort of, like, someone in a very 70s Jewish way. Does that make yes. sense? Yes, it really, like, it feels very, like, authentic and therefore, like, fun and better to watch. And also, like, that's what, the, the college of the 70s, and they also have, like, you know, like posters with like two naked hippies making a peace sign. Yes, of like course. It, they've done a great job building out the sorority in a way that makes these are yeah, like these are twenty year old girls. Yeah, it's interesting and there's more character. Again, a lot of movies now we don't we, we're not we're not paying attention to the posters. No, this it does a great job of like the people actually live here. Yes, we then meet our uh, our protagonist Jess, who's played by Olivia Hussey, um, who I always associate with the. Um, 
having seen the uh, 1968 uh, Zeffirelli adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Yes, of course. And I remember seeing it because it was a big deal because we watched it in English class. And mm-hmm. I believe you see her breast for like one second and then you see, um, I can't remember the male lead, his butt for one yeah. moment. And it is funny, like what a big deal it was. We had to public school even. Yeah. And this poor kid, I won't say his name, but this poor kid, Chris, was from one of these real religious, oh, you know, yes. uh, I'm from a small town. We had a lot of those white churches where you can't know about dancing. <laughs> like, and then, and then the teacher had to say, it's coming up literally before, like, you know, she was going to oh be topless. God. Forget in bed for one second. Yeah. Not even having, like, right. it's the most benign version yes. of a woman's breasts. And he had to put his head down on the desk so he didn't see them. And I'm oh. like, he's a teenage boy. God, what sake, if he's some tits? You're going to drive him the man insane. Like, anyway, just that was my experience of like, that sucks, dude. Um, also, then you well, did get to see boobs. Oh, anyways, yeah, I hope you're right. doing Just put fine. Your, pick your head up. Don't tell your parents. <laughs> also, it's like, you didn't see that. It's not like he's going to forget they exist in the world. Right. Like, right. I mean, yeah. you're just going to make him insane about it. Well, yes. you can see that. You can see how religion works. Um, uh, in modern society, back at it, the phone rings, Allison. And Jess answers it. And also, she's British. So she's fighting her British accent in this oh, movie. that's really fun. And there's certain, oh no, is she British or is she, oh, she's from uh, Argentina, oh, she's British, but she's born in Argentina. Okay. That makes sense. She's trying to do an American accent. She's all over the place. Um, yeah. And she goes, pardon? For who? In a way that like, oh, you're, the accent's just going to be crazy this whole movie. Yes. That reminds me of my grandmother's best friend, Lily, um, lived in Eastern Europe and then moved to Israel and then Argentina and then New Jersey. And she would open her mouth and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> like that, her, she Wild. had so many thick accents on top of each other from different places that she lived. And I was like, wait. I love that. Um, but she says, oh, it's Barb. It's for you. It's your mom. And so Barb rubs into the other room to answer it. And there's a lot of uh, like landline phone work, basically. Yes, People excellent. answering the same line from different rooms in the movie. Meanwhile, we see the killer get to the attic window, having climbed the entire trellis, and pushes it open. Horror rule, 5,863. Lock your goddamn attic window. You think yes. you don't have to. You do. It's so high up. You, d- you got you the trellis. You absolutely do. Um, of course, when the killer's in the attic, it's full of big old house things. Because it's like an old house. We yeah. see like a cobweb-covered hobby horse, a rocking chair, uh, parties, uh, Bob, Barb is screaming at the party to shut up as she's trying to, like, hear her mom um, on the phone. And uh, she's arguing with the operator, like, I can't hear anything. And she tells her mom that she's going to come home on the 720 train. And the mom basically blows her off and says, like, I'm going to go up and take a look at uh, a house up in Mount Holly if you want to go skiing. But I'm not going to do, like, you know, don't come home. Which, of course, Barb, already an alcoholic. You sort of see where Barb's coming from if that's your mom, right? Yes. Ex- and then Barb absolutely. says... To her mother, you're a real gold-plated whore, mother. Did you know that? It's like, oh, the 70s. Different time. Um, Yeah. Meanwhile, the party ends, and all the girls kick their boyfriends out for the evening. But with the idea that, like, everyone's leaving to literally go home either that night or the next day. Um, And we see the killer's POV creeping down the stairs. And we see uh, the attic door open. It's like one of those open, it opens up attic doors. So whenever we, a a, a killing is about a foot, we see the attic door open. So the killer keeps retreating to the attic. Nobody thinks to look there, unfortunately. Um, We see another girl, Claire, kiss her boyfriend Chris goodbye and say, I'll see you in a week. 
But then he's going to come to her house and she says, call you before you come. I just kind of have to get my parents ready to see you. And he says, great, I'll see you then. So they're going to be off for like, I'm assuming two weeks at least. Um, Barb storms in, upset from the call from the mother, and says, does anyone want to go with her skiing for a few days? And she's obviously, again, the head bitch. So both Jess and Phil say, yes, we'll go with you. But Claire says, nope, I have other plans. Chris is going to come to my house, and Barb is pissed about it. It's like, you just mentioned it. Right. What do you mean? How could you be bad about this? But she's doing her own stuff. Yeah. Allison, the phone rings again, and Jess answers. And she says, it's the moaner again. They've been getting obscene phone yes. calls. And I'll do it a, I'll do my impression because I fucked up and I did not do Jigsaw in the Saw 2 episode. Yeah. And well, I really thank apologize. God we have a billion uh, Saw, more Saw, Saw movies to do. Hell yeah. But I'll do the impression of the moaner, which is... <clears throat> and then wow. he starts going, he says, let me lick it. No. Let me stick my tongue in it. And all the girls are watching. Ah! And I think, again, they're not playing it for jokes. Like, all these girls are gathered around, like, just really sad and grossed out. Yes. Well, that's the only real reaction to a phone call like that. He goes, <laughs> You big gun. You big gun. Let me lick it. Lick it. Lick it. Let me lick your pretty piggy cunt. <laughs> wow, the 70s. And Barb says, oh, wow, so he's expanded his act. And she grabs the phone. And that's where Barb comes, you know, that's, that's where you fun. need her in those moments. Yeah. And she's like, how about you call over to Lambda Kai? They can use a little of this. You know, just sort of like dragging yeah. him. And the caller's voice drops into a normal man's voice. And he goes, I'm going to kill you. Ah! And, he, and he hangs up. That's so scary. <laughs> and Barb's like, what a fucking asshole. But Claire's saying, don't provoke this guy. Yeah. We don't know him. Like, we don't know what's going on. And she says, you know that townie girl got raped a few weeks ago. And Barb, who is, of course, smoking and drinking the entire movie, goes, yes. Claire, you can't rape a townie. And Claire's like, oh. And everyone's like, oh, Barb. I mean, you're hilarious, but Barb, you but can't geez. say that. And Claire's like, oh, you're really something, which I do think is the best thing to say in the 70s. Oh, you're really, you're really something, something, Barb. And Barb says, this is a sorority house, Claire, not a convent. And they sort of have a fight, you know, Ugh. in front of everybody. What a movie. I know. I, it really is. I was like, the flavor. You know what I mean? There's like, a lot I, of fun being had, but not yes. like at the expense of it still being scary. Like, Yeah, and I think grounding it in these characters. Like, yeah. we have moments that are kind of a little all, too funny. But, like, for sure. the most part, playing it for realism, which then makes the scary parts even more horrifying. Uh, Claire storms upstairs and Jess tries to go to her. Like, I'm sure Barb didn't mean anything. You know how Barb is. Claire says, it's fine. I'm just going to pack because I'm going in the morning or going tomorrow. Like, I'm, I'm not upset or anything. Just then, Mrs. Mack or Mrs. McHenry comes home and she is the house mother. And having not lived in a sorority, I did live in a dorm on a Catholic, in a Catholic university. So we had a sort of a house mother and then yeah. also a priest that lived on, on oh, site Great. for confession. A drop of the hat, you know. Wow. Um, I, wild times. And so Miss Mac comes in and all the girls say, we bought you a gift. And they all kind of bring her in. And she's just like an older, very warm woman. She has a lot of like coordinated pillbox hats. Sure. And with uh, like skirt suits and her lipsticks always fucked up. And she's also constantly drinking sherry. So that's like her character bit is she has different bottles of sherry hidden all throughout the sorority house. Love it. Then she'll go and just take a swig. A lot of, yeah, a lot of drinking. I guess that, you get the it. the 70s. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, so they all, uh, they're all like rushing in, like, open your present, open your present. Unfortunately, Allison, there's a lot of commotion, which means when Claire goes upstairs to pack, 
nobody could hear her from inside her room. And, and she's going and she's taking, she's done a lot of dry cleaning and puts it in her uh, suitcase. But we see there's someone standing behind her clothes in the closet, Allison. No. From, from, her, the, from their POV or, from, or like? From our POV as, as sort of the third party. She doesn't see okay. it. Okay. But Got we it. see a little bit of like a face, oh, an yeah. eye peeking from behind the clothes. <laughs> and from the closet, we hear a meow. And Claire goes, Claude? Allison, oh, apparently Claude. Claude. What a great name for a cat. <laughs> Claude. I assume, uh, we all know uh, that famous book, The Tiger's Revenge by Claude Balls. I just assume that this uh, is- kid's, cat's name is Claude Balls. Yes. She said, Claude, apparently Soror- he went missing and everyone's been looking at him. They know he's in the house, but they just couldn't find him. So she goes over the closet and the killer leaps out. And again, this is all from, once all the murders are from the killer's POV. The killer leaps out and wraps the dry cleaning bag around her face, suffocating her. And she's, of course, trying to scream, but everyone downstairs is, like, going nuts and, like, yelling. And they reveal the gift. It's just a nightgown. And she's like, okay, thank you, girls. And they make her try it on over her clothes. Like, she still has her pillbox hat on. Over a suit. (laughs) Oh, basically, yeah. Like, over a winter coat, practically. (laughs) And Allison, we see the attic door swing close. This is when we see Mrs. Mack is in her office and takes a swig from a bottle of sherry that she has hidden in the cutout of interior of a, of a book. But what makes no sense is Barb is literally just like has a, yeah. like a handle of, of whiskey. Like everyone's drinking openly. Right. Maybe Why because are she's you hiding this? Maybe because she's supposed to be yeah. the responsible adult in charge. That makes sense. Because I was like, girl, you could probably just right. put it on a shelf or something. Um, right. Seems like a lot of trouble to go through. <laughs> yeah. Allison just calls her boyfriend, Peter, and says, we have to talk face-to-face tomorrow. It's important. It's also 1974, so we can safely assume she is pregnant and that we are going to have a conversation about that. Absolutely. We uh, see Mrs. Mack fishing another bottle of sherry out of the toilet tank and then looks at herself at the nightgown and says, I wouldn't wear this to have my liver out. (laughs) Excellent, excellent dialogue. Um. Jess goes to talk to Claire just to check in and make sure Claire's okay after kind of that little tiff with Barb, but the door's closed and she doesn't reply, so she kind of assumes Claire went to sleep. Unfortunately, we know where Claire is. She's now in the attic. She is uh, still wrapped in the uh, dry cleaning bag, which has been sucked into her mouth. Yeah. And she, of course, struggled to breathe before she died. Ugh, that's her like corpse, the scary, like, that yeah. really... And her corpse is perched on a rocking chair near the window. So, which again, excellent. All the visualness are perfect because you sort of get like the reflective uh, exterior lights from outside, like Christmas lights, the sort of white light bouncing off the snow and her staring face and her wide open mouth. Um, We then hear a terrifying man's voice, of course, the the call, the moaner from the uh, phone saying, a little baby bunting. Daddy's got a hunting. Gone to fetch a rabbit skin to wrap his baby Agnes in. Um, the next day, around about 1 p.m., we meet up with Claire's dad, Mr. Harrison, who has arrived on campus to pick her up. And unfortunately, she has not arrived. It's been about 30 minutes. Somebody, a frat boy, throws a snowball and knocks Mr. Harrison's glasses off, but at least has the decency to come over and, and help him. And the guy says, uh, do you know my daughter, Claire? She's part of the sorority. And the frat boy says, well, you know, I don't know her, but I know the sorority. I could take you over there. It's right down here. We then see that everyone at the sorority is over at the uh, holiday event for the kids. Mm-hmm. And Patrick is there playing Santa. And Patrick is pissed because Phil has agreed to go skiing with Barb. 
and 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 Patrick's like, she was supposed to come with me away from me for two weeks, Barb. What a bitch. And Barb says, well, isn't Santa naughty, everyone? And all the kids are like, he is. Santa said bitch. Um, so they're having the time of their lives. Um, Mr. Harrison gets to the sorority. Mrs. Mack tells him, like, I'm sure Claire is around. She's probably at the party. She probably lost track of time. Um, but I'll, I'll take you over there and we can go find her. You know, don't worry. I'm sure right. Claire is around. Meanwhile, Mr. Harrison's very scandalized by, like, what it feels so truly mild. Like, again, like, a nude hippie's butt on a poster of a peace sign. And Miss, Miss Mac tries to, like, put her, lean with her hand over it so she doesn't, he doesn't see it. And he's like, <laughs> so wait a minute. And then he sees a photo, like, they have a bunch of photos of the girls there. And it's a photo of Claire with Chris, her boyfriend. And, he's, and he says, who's this? She says, oh, that's her boyfriend, Chris Hayden. He's such a lovely person. And, and he says, I'm not sending my daughter here to drink and pick up boys. Well, that's what college is, baby. That's yeah, absolutely that's the whole what you, thing. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, she'll learn, what, learn to read? What does she need to know, you know? <laughs> but Miss Mac says, don't worry. I'll, I'll let me put my coat on and we'll head over to the party. I'm sure she's there. Uh, and we see her in the mirror in the bathroom. And she's like, for God's sakes, these broads would hump a le- the leading tower of Pisa if they could get up there. What am I supposed to do? I can, I'm only one woman. Which, I, again, <laughs> really just funny bits. Um she also then hears the meowing and she's trying to figure out because it's sort of like this old echoey house and she is here Claude um, and she hears him and she runs out the hallway and she has like a fourth of her lipstick on and she runs into the landing and dumps her purse out of the stairs and I wrote I am Mrs. Mac yeah. That's, she's bringing my energy yes. to this to the proceedings but she doesn't have time for Claude. We see Mrs. Mack and Mr. Harrison get in a taxi to go find Claire at the party. Unfortunately, listen again, we see another shot of Claire's plastic wrap body near the window. <sighs> Meanwhile, Jess meets with her boyfriend, Peter, who has been, uh, he has a huge audition. He's in the conservatory. He's basically like auditioning to like pass on to see whether or not he'll be a professional pianist. Sure. So he has been up for three days practicing the piano. She's like, yeah, I know you have your big audition tomorrow, but I gotta let you know I'm pregnant and I am not keeping it. I'm going to get an abortion. Go, girl. Peter flips out, and he's like, you didn't even ask me. Don't you think about anything, anybody but yourself? And he's sort of berating her, and she's like, this is why I'm going to do it. Yes. Like, this is what I knew your reaction would be. And he says, get out of here. I have to practice my piano, but I want to talk to you, so I'm going to come by at 9 p.m. And she's like, listen, clearly... Maybe things aren't going great in our relationship, but this seems like the right move. Yes. But I will meet with you tonight, and we could talk about it. Um, over at the party, Claire's not there. Mr. Harrison decides he's going to stay the night and, like, figure out where Claire is. Everyone's still convinced, like, she is at some party. She went skiing with somebody else. Like, we'll find her boyfriend, Chris. Maybe they're together. Don't worry. It's just, like, the kerfuffle of the holiday season, yes. you know? Uh, we also see Barb give a kid a beer at the party. Back at the sorority house, Jess returns after that hard conversation with Peter, and the phone rings, and it is, of course, the moaner, and now he's doing different voices. Oh, he has a whole repertoire of impressions. <laughs> and we hear in a woman's voice, and a man's voice, or at least his approximation yeah. of the two, he says, Billy, what did you do with Agnes? Billy, what did you do with the baby? And Jess hangs up in horror. Allison, at this point, what would you do? <laughs> What would you do? I mean, I think you have to, like, tell the cops that, like, people are calling your house and saying fucked up things. 
Yeah, because it's two things, and both do require to be told the cops just so a connection can be made, which is yes. there's a caller at the ho- calling the house over and over again, and also Claire is missing. So yeah. it's like, yeah, those things are obviously related. How do we yes. get those pieces parts together? Yeah, you got to tell someone, and then also I'm going to be like, I'm going to leave now for a break. Yeah. And just hightail like- it out of there. Yeah, I'd at least be called my parents or yeah. stay at a hotel, staying at one of the fraternities, staying at another yeah, sorority. You I know, know like, what, yeah, like go, there's still other people on campus, so maybe like go crash somewhere else until like Claire is found at least. I mean, yeah, found. I agree. Then you're definitely not going back. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. So, uh, fortunately, uh, Barb, Phil, and Mr. Harrison take your advice, and they go to report Claire missing at the police station. Okay, great. For the first time in a movie, people are just like, we should actually deal with this uh, as if it's a crime, because it probably is. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, they are tasked with uh, talking to the dumbest police officer in any movie we've ever seen. Um, his name is Sergeant Nash. And I do appreciate the movie kind of, like, makes the point of, like, you could go to the cops, but if you get this guy, he will fuck this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says, immediately waves them off. Like, 90% of the time, if a girl is missing, she's just hold up with a boyfriend in a cabin for the break. Like, we're not going to chase down every girl that goes missing. Okay, we don't have enough time for that. And so they decide, okay, we're going to go find Chris, her boyfriend, and find out maybe they did go somewhere. You know, maybe she is mm-hmm. blowing off her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, however, before they go, Barb, who is fully drunk after drinking at this children's party. I mean. Um, listen, we've all done it. Who hasn't? Uh, she goes and uh, talks, she sort of gives her information to Sergeant Nash, and he says, what's the sorority number? And this is back when um, phone numbers had, like, exchanges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be, like, a, a word before like, the numbers. Yeah. And she says, oh, the sorority number is fellatio20880. It's fellatio. And Sergeant Nash doesn't know what fellatio is, oh. so she has to, like, spell it out, and he doesn't get the joke, and Barb's like, all right, well, uh, I'll just head out. Let us know if you need anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jess goes over to the hockey rink where Chris, who is Claire's boyfriend, is playing hockey. He's horrified. He talked to her last night. He assumed that she already left and was like, I was going to call her. But, like, he, he, having said goodbye the night before, he ha- it didn't seem odd that he hadn't spoken to her yet. He assumed that she was driving right. back okay. home with her yeah. dad, right? Right, before cell phones, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and she says, not only that, not only is Claire missing, but the cops aren't taking it seriously. So, again, we've already gone to the cops, and we already assessed they're not taking it seriously. So, good. We're early in the film. What Great. can we do to figure this out? Yes. Um, we then see Peter's big piano audition, and he fucks it up horribly. Oh, well. And he's obviously distraught over the abortion news, but it's like, oh, I guess you could have maybe waited till the next day. Yeah, at least let just- him get through the audition. 
tell him immediately after the audition because yes. he sucks shit. And you cut to all the judges who are like, uh, uh-oh, this guy is not getting through to whatever the a master is. I don't even know yeah. what you do after that. Yeah, uh, orchestra. Um, so uh, we also see at the police station that a mother who is unrelated to all this is telling that her 13-year-old Janice is also missing. This There's a lot going on in this town. There in is this a, movie. I mean, God, no wonder they're not pursuing a lot of stuff over at the police station because there's too many loose threads. <laughs> and if you think they're going to pursue this one, they are not. And we oh, see God. Sergeant Nash say, say, okay, so this is the first time she's a couple hours late. And she's like, no. Her father's a long-haul trucker. She, she, she was really excited. We were going to go after school to go buy him a present. We had plans. This wasn't like, oh, I don't know where she is. She is missing. And Sergeant Nash is like, I, there's too many missing, missing girls and women. I'm not, I, I can't do my job or whatever. Um, fortunately, Chris gets what's going on. So Chris storms down to the police station and starts yelling at everybody until Lieutenant Fuller agrees to talk to Chris and Jess and sort of okay. be like, okay, let's figure out what's going on. Um, back at the sorority house, uh, sort of the last straggler. So it's, um, Mr. Harrison, Barb, Phil, and Mrs. Mack, they eat dinner. And Barb tells this insane story to Mr. Harrison about going to the zoo and seeing a species of turtle that could screw for three days straight. There's a certain species of turtle that can screw for three days without stopping. And no one's laughing, but not because it's not a funny story. But she's just incredibly drunk. And then Barb turns on a dime and starts screaming at them. And she's like, I know that you blame me for Claire's disappearance because they had had the fight in front of everybody. Right. It's like, I know you're blaming me, but I didn't have anything to do with it. I, you know, and Phil says, you're drunk. Go lay down. And fortunately, Barb does. Uh, meanwhile, Peter goes over to the recital hall where he practices, picks up like sort of like a stanchion, like you'd have a, a velvet rope, like the metal stanchion. Yes, yes, Picks yes. up, opens the top of a grand piano and just starts smashing the inside of the piano up. Okay. So Peter is uh, very mad. Okay. Um. Chris and Jess also make it back to the sorority house and uh, Chris and Mr. Harrison finally meet uh, and they all start mobilizing. Like we have to search for her. We have to, like it's cold. She's been gone. If she's in the fucking woods or something, we don't know where this woman would be. Like she's, these are the two places. Unfortunately, of course, they don't think to check the attic, right? I mean, hit the house top to bottom before you start going outside of it. Couldn't agree more. And also, another, uh, in addition to the excellent visuals, the music is by Carl uh, Zitterer. And after, so we see Peter smashing the inside of the piano. And then after that, we hear, like, the the discordant sound of piano, like, low under a lot of these scenes. And it's, like, both very beautiful, but adds this level of, like, tension to it very subtly. I was like, yeah. this movie's great. That's great. A classic for a reason. Um so fortunately, Detective Lieutenant Fuller has listed to them and has organized a proper search of uh, cops. And there's also like whoever is still on campus, people yes. for the neighborhood. We're searching the woods for Claire. At this point, I'm assuming for her body because it's yeah. freezing cold and she's yeah. been gone if for she was a outside day for a full day with like yeah nothing. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, uh, uh, the mom of the 13-year-old is also there. Not unfortunately, but like she, it's like you have your own missing child and you're going to help search for this other girl, but it's very nice of you. <coughs> so everyone gets, uh, puts on their winter wear, bless you, and starts combing the park. Um, in, the, in the attic, we see Claude the cat licking the plastic on Claire's corpse. Oh, cats are They assholes. don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They'll, they'll eat you as soon as you're dead. Yeah. Um... Uh, Mrs. Mack uh, tells the girls, you know, I'm actually headed over to my sister. So when you get back from the search, 
I'm probably going to be gone. So when then she disappears, we, we won't know to search for her. Okay. And she's ready to go. Her and The taxi driver's literally outside honking to take her. And she hears some cacophony from up in the attic. And she says, oh, Claude. Want to make sure he's okay before going away. Of course. We see Mrs. Mack make her way up and stick her head through the attic door. And unfortunately, she, of course, sees Claire's dead body immediately. Finally, somebody pokes up there. And then turns. And just as she turns, we see a pair of man's hands release what looks like just a giant metal hook. And Wikipedia calls it a crane hook. I don't know why you'd have one in an attic, but they have sure. one. A hook on a rope. He lets it fly, and it stabs her through the face. Oh, brutal way to die. And catches her, basically swings her up, so now she's hanging from the ceiling. By her face? By her face. The hook through her face. Uh, Needless to say, I hate she, that. she dies. Oh, yeah. I didn't like that. Um, we then see the killer going absolutely nuts, like he's nuts in the attic. Like, he's knocking stuff over. He's screaming. He's smashing stuff. Things are ramping up, right? Yeah. Um, in the park, it's extremely cold. It's dark. It's people are trying, and Je- now now it's nine p.m. And Jess says, "I have to go talk to Peter again." You know, which I realize now means she told him about the abortion literally immediately before his audition. Which right, like just second. Tell him before? now. Like right. if you're gonna meet him, like of course you're gonna have to meet him later after his audition. Tell him after. Like you if meet she him. was gonna, if she was leaving, and that was the right. last chance to talk to him face to face. Right, then I'm that still makes like, sense. girl, just go on break and do it. Um, but. That's my well, opinion. I mean, yeah. <laughs> because of how he yeah, re- I mean, reacted. Yeah. Um, so, but Jess goes back to the sorority house. The phone rings again. And again, she hears an approximation of a mother and a father's voice screaming, Billy, we know what you've done, Billy. Tell us where the baby is. Allison, in the park, they find a body. But it is not Claire. Oh. It cool is town. Janice. It yeah. is Janice, the missing 13-year-old girl. Ugh. Awful. And we never find out what happens to her. That's just like a for red herring. Yeah, I think it's just a you know keep keep it moving. Um, back at the sorority house, um, Jess calls. Uh, try it's tries to find Mrs. Mac. Realizes oh she's probably already left. Um, makes a phone call and then is startled. She whips around. Peter's already in the sorority. Um, uh, Jess at least at this point now calls the police to report the obscene phone calls. Because she's like, Thank this God. is too much. Yeah. And so Peter's kind of waiting there to talk about her abortion. And she tells the cops, you know, uh, this is what's going on. Of course, she gets Sergeant Nash. And Sergeant Nash is just going to fuck it up. Yeah. And uh, Mrs. Harrison, Phil, and Chris are, are back at the police station having ended the search for the night because it's cold. Mm-hmm. They hear Sergeant Nash blowing her off in real time. And it's like, you can't, this guy can't be blowing off everybody. No, you, no, you don't have the kind of job where you can, like, kick it to Monday. Yeah, and Sergeant Nash says, you know, we just found a murder, a girl murdered in the park. It's like, a girl you found because somebody came and forced you to search for another missing girl. Right. And he says, oh, they've seen callers, probably just one of your boyfriends, like, teasing you. Anyways, I'm bad at my job. I mean. Um, Jess hangs up. And then she and Peter get into it. And she's like, yeah, Claire's missing and there's a search party. And Peter says, oh, how noble are you helping find her? The fuck? It's like, excuse, it's like if you want this woman to give birth to your child, you right. cannot berate her yeah, and now, be cruel to her. Now is not the time to be a dick. So they sit down and he says, look, 
I've decided I'm leaving the conservatory. I spent all this time. I don't, I'm tired of being sixth in line for the bathroom and living like a monk. I want to quit the conservatory. Also, he probably failed anyway. Like, quit or can't go. <laughs> and he tells her, we're going to get married. And she says, Peter, I don't want to marry you. That's the long and the short of it. That's yeah, the issue. I that's don't want to marry That's kind of all you. there is to say here. Yeah. And Peter says, okay, well, what about the baby? Meanwhile, we see uh, Mr. Harrison back at the police station. He's talking to Lieutenant Fuller. And he's basically like, look, all of these things are connected. And they're explaining it to Sergeant Nash. Like, do you understand, you fucking idiot, how all these things are connected? And Nash is like, oh, wow, that really makes a lot of sense. This is my first day on Earth, so I didn't think about that. <laughs> and then Fuller looks at Nash's notes and says, what the fuck is this phone number you wrote down? And Nash goes, oh, it's something dirty, isn't it? And all this other cop is just laughing at him. Anywho, again, a, a comedic indictment uh, of the police. Uh, back of the house, Peter goes absolutely nuts, and he starts smashing ornaments on the tree. And Bro. he tells Jess, you selfish bitch. You talk about getting rid of our baby like you talk about getting a wart removed. And Jess says, again, see, this is why I did not yeah. want to tell you about this. And he says to her, if you, get, or if you try getting an abortion, you're going to be very sorry. And she kicks him out just as Fuller, no. Lieutenant Fuller and Phil come in. And Peter heads out. Uh, the Lieutenant, Phil, and this other guy whose name is Lyman Graham come in. And Fuller says, we're going to put a tap on the phone to track the calls. Yes. And I want to see Claire's room. So the Lyman comes in and he does the wiretap. He says, here's how it works. When somebody calls, it's going to ring here and the police station so they can pick it up. And then I'll be down at the phone station, the phone department. Oh, yeah. And... I- I'll be able to, literally he has to run to like the actual like area where the wires are. So he's like, I could tap it. I just need a little bit of time to get to that area of the telephone factory or whatever. Like, why don't you just put someone there whose job well, it so is to wait? So they're doing that too. So there is going to be a cop outside waiting. But yes, you'd think just have a cop sit there and answer right. the phone. What's everyone but- else doing at this police station? But it's more about finding out where the location, yes, where it's yes, coming from. Yes. You know what I mean? So, and like, just so, but the, and this is a very classic thing you always hear about wire tracing. Yes. And back in the day, you got to keep them on the phone for a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. It takes a minute to physically it do to, it. to like register with where it's coming from. See, you explained it beautifully, Allison. You got it. Thank you. Um, so he's doing that. They go up and look at Claire's room. But of course, she's in the attic. There's nothing unusual. Um, and they also note that Mrs. Mack has a separate line in her, like, little on yeah. her suite, but that hasn't been getting any calls. It's just calls to the main line that the sorority girls pick up. Uh, the fuller says there's somebody out there. Uh, so a cop out there in an unmarked car. He'll be walk- watching all night. If you have any problems, literally just open the door and go to him. Yeah. You're, you guys are going to be fine. And Phil at least is like, yeah, I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, nothing it seems like about. we're going fine. Yeah. Um, just as Fuller and Lyman leave, we see Peter watching the sorority house from across the road, obviously still furious. Phil starts to break down. She's like, I know that Claire is dead. Like, there, this doesn't, there's no other option. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm so tired. But if anything comes up or anyone calls, please wake me up. I just need to go lay, lay down. So now Barb is already asleep drunk. Okay. Phil's going to go lay down. And Jess is the only one still in the house. Okay. That we know of, obviously. Um, and then we, there's so much re-explanation of the wiretapping. Like, we see the lineman at the phone company. We see Fuller at the police station. There's so much explanation. But I appreciate it because I, I, I wouldn't have it. Yeah. known it. Yeah. 
Allison, upstairs, we see the killer is sort of kneeling in front of Claire's corpse in her rocking chair and sort of rocking her back and forth. A little doll nestled in her arms as he sings a lullaby to her. Unfortunately, we then see the killer enter Barb's room. Oh, no, not Barb. I like Barb. I know. Barb's got that sass. Um, Meanwhile, downstairs, Jess hears gasping and runs up to Barb's room and Barb is alive, but she's having an asthma attack. And she's able to grab Barb's inhaler and gives it to her. And she says, Barb says, oh, my God, I had a dream. Someone came into my room. I, that's probably why I woke up like this. And, of course, we sure. now see the killer is, in fact, uh, waiting to kill her. Where Unfortunately, the killer? the killer is in the hallway. So okay. the killer's basically, like, hiding, waiting to get back into Barb's room. But he's right outside, and he's ready to go. Unfortunately for Barb... Carolers, children carolers come up outside the house and Jess goes downstairs to open the door and say, thanks for caroling, no. leaving Barb to uh, sleep it off. And as soon as she goes down, these kids are fucking rocking this shit. These kids are, are doing a great job. We see the killer slink back into Barb's room and she's sort of a glass menagerie of figurines, which is also a real thing. Yes. Like people had little glass Let's animals. Do, yes, little glass Let's animals. Let's do it. Let's do that again. I would I love, love to bring back having little glass figurines. It, we're doing it. Okay. We all having a glass menagerie. 2024 glass menageries glass are menageries. back. Um, unfortunately, she has a glass unicorn with an extremely sharp, yeah. sharp pointy horn. And he, I take it back. Killer. I don't think we should have those. <laughs> we just don't have that. You can have like a turtle or okay, yeah, a rhino or a hippo. Yeah. We hear the killer whisper, don't tell them what we did, Agnes. And Barb wakes up with a start at the sound of that. You hate Obviously, to hear that in that's the, the middle of the night. One of the top worst ways to wake up. <laughs> top five worst things to hear whispered to you in the night. But it's too late, and the killer stabs her to death. And we cut between the bloody unicorn as he brings it down, and it's sort of the caroler's excellent work. Oh, Beautiful visual. Terrific. Um, outside, we see a mom run up and sort of usher the car, the kids back into the cars and says, Jess, you know, there, there's a, they just found a little girl murdered in the park tonight. And the woman says, also, um, you know, your phone's ringing. And Jess runs back inside to answer it. Allison, at this point in the film, I got to ask, who will survive? Who will survive? Who? We got Jess. We got Jess. uh, We got Phil. We got Mrs. Matt. No, sorry, Mrs. Matt is dead. Uh, Jess, Phil. We got Chris, the boyfriend. We got Lieutenant Fuller. Uh, we got Sergeant Nash, the dumbass, and we've got Peter, the boyfriend. I think Peter's going to die because I would like him to die. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Jess will survive a little longer, but maybe die at the end. Phil will survive. And the detect, the police officer will die. And then how do we feel about the killer? Um... I think they're going to die. Okay, great. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. 
Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Elsa, no surprise here. She lifts the receiver and it's the boner, of course. And Obviously. we hear whimpering. And then we hear the third voice added, a, a, children, a child's voice, screaming, No, Billy, no! And the woman on the phone says, "Just it's just like having a wart removed, echoing the conversation that yes. Jess just had with Peter. Oh. And Jess goes, oh, my God. Because now she's thinking, like, how the fuck would they Who's know Who's hearing them? this? Yeah. Yeah. The call drops, unfortunately, too early, and Fuller calls then, because he picks up when the call happens. The call drops, and he says, I'm sorry. The call was too short. We couldn't trace it. She does not tell Lieutenant Fuller about the wart thing. Because I guess like, she doesn't want to tell him about the abortion conversation. But yeah. girl. But it's like, girl, you got to say, like, even if yeah. you're just like, they repeated something that I, that was just said in this house. Like, yeah, just, like you don't have to get into the weeds about it, but just like, yeah. let them know that that's what's happening. Um. So and he said, while we're here, who was that leaving your sorority when, when I was coming in with the lineman? She says, oh, that was Peter, my boyfriend. He's fine. He was just, he had an audition. You know, it sort of kind of plays it up, right? Um, Jess then wakes up Phil and at least tells Phil about the wart line. Okay. But then it's like, Phil's another, like, she's not a, she, she's not an investigator. Yeah, she's not going to help solve this. Yeah. And then she says, well, you know, Fuller asked about Peter. Like, could he have done this? And Phil says, I don't think that Peter could do this. Like, I don't like Peter, but this seems very extreme to be doing all this. And how would it connect to Claire? Like, why would he have done it? Like, I don't understand. Like, why would it be Peter? You know? Uh, and they check, and the cops still waiting outside. Like, the um, unmarked car is there. Um, it's, of course, the, the the phone rings again. Both Jess, we see Jess, Fuller, and the phone company all pick up, trying to trace. It's not the killer. It is Peter. And okay. he is sobbing now, and he's begging her not to hurt the baby. And he is as hysterical as the phone calls have been, but it is about something real, right? Yes, right. So it's and, like, oh, okay, that's a different right. thing, maybe. And she's like, just tell me where you are. I will come find you. We get straight. Do not panic. You know, because now she's like afraid, like what's going to happen. Right. <clears throat> but he hangs up. Again, the lineman's like, I couldn't trace it. And Fuller says, I'm sorry, I have to ask, like, who? that was Peter, right? That was your boyfriend. He seems really distraught. Because now the Fuller's thinking, oh, so it's well, the boyfriend. It's always the boyfriend. Yeah, like it's always the boyfriend. You know. Yeah, like, oh, it's some distraught man. Like, that seems right. right. And she's like, okay, well, I'll be honest. I'm pregnant. Um, I just told him I'm getting an abortion. I'm not have, I'm not even talking about that part. He's a very high-strung artist. But he was at the call. Like, he's been at the house when we got previous calls. Yeah. So I don't think he could have done these calls. Like, I don't think it could have been him. But Fuller's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, we could have, like, a pervert calling and your boyfriend's crazy. Like, we could have two different things happen yeah. at the same time. So... Uh, he says, you know, uh, when Peter's obsessed, he goes down to the recital hall to play. So if you want to go talk to him, just go to the recital hall. I'm sure he's there. Um, meanwhile, they're sort of cleaning up, and Phil sees two guys looking through the kitchen window and screams, but it's just two guys on the search party. And they're saying, like, hey, just, you know, we're going to be coming through this way. Okay. Uh, these are, like, the these old men who have, like, agreed to do it. And so there are people out there, but just not most people. And they're like, we're going to keep looking, but remember to lock your doors and close your windows and, you know, and they, they shut it, and Jess is like, wow, that's crazy. Do you know that this is the only door and the only window that's locked? <clears throat> it's like, girls, what are we doing here? Guy, like, I don't care how far in the middle of the 
woods, you like wherever, if you're just like, oh, we have like a safe little college, like you got to lock everything in your house. I know the seventies were different, but like right now there's somebody who's like coming to kill all of you. So yes. Lock the windows and doors. They are now going to split up and lock all the doors and windows. Okay. Well, I mean, it's like a good effort, but like just stay together. And you know what's going to happen. Phil goes into Barb's room and says, Barb, are you awake? Allison, the door shuts behind her. No. R.I.P. Barb. Um, Fuller calls the dean for Peter's transcript just to be like if there's anything in his past and then goes down the recital hall and finds the smashed up piano that Peter smashed up. So now Fuller's like, oh, so this guy's like destroying property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back at the sorority house, the phone rings again. Jess answers, and the caller says, "You fat pig! You bitch pig!" And then a child screaming, "Billy, no!" And a man laughing, and the lineman's running to trace the call, which is really long. And we're having to watch Jess listen to this, which is like a horrible, like yeah. long, extended, like play from a madman. And it's a woman screaming, "Where's the baby? You left Billy alone with Agnes. Where's the baby?" Um, and the lineman calls and says, finally calls in the police station and says something that we probably already should have known. The calls are coming from number six, Belmont Street. For Christ's sakes, Nash, you got it wrong. That's where the calls are going into. That's where they're coming from, too, sir. Specifically from Mrs. Mack's personal line. Yes. Right. So uh, Fuller calls Jennings, the cop sitting outside the sorority house, and to be like, get the fuck in there. They're killers in the house. Yes. Allison... We see that Jennings isn't going to answer that call because his window is down and his throat has already been slit. Oh, no. Not great. Uh, So Fuller calls. He's he's trying to make his way back. He calls Nash, the incompetent cop, and says, call the sorority house right now and tell them to walk straight out the front door and just fucking get out of the house. Like, if they could put distance between them and this guy, that's That's for the best. That's the best thing they could do right now. And he says, Nash, if you blow, don't tell them what's going on. Just say, tell them to leave. And if you blow this, I'll kill you. Yeah. Well, Alice, I think you know what's going to happen. Yeah. The phone rings. Jess answers it. And Nash says, who is this? Which is insane. That's an insane. That's you, insane. The situation to say, who is this is an insane thing to say. Doesn't matter. He says, put the phone down and just walk out of the door. But of course, because she's a good person, Jess says, well, I have to go tell Phil and Barb. She doesn't know that they're both dead. Oh, no. Well, we know Barb is dead. Phil, right. we know, you know, yeah. where is headed. She's Safe like, I have to, to go. He says, no, don't do it. The calls are coming from inside the house. Don't go upstairs. But because she's a good person, Jess can't do it. So she grabs a fire uh, poker and she leaves the phone at the hook. Well, you hear Dash say, no, I fucked up. Don't do it. I, no, I, they're going to be mad at me. Leave the house. And she starts creeping up the stairs. Allison, she gets to Barb's room, opens the door, and finds both Barb and Phil stabbed to death on Barb's bed. Mm. And when she looks at the crack of the door, we see an, uh, a man's eye. And he says to her, Agnes, don't tell them what we did. And she slams the door in his face okay, and great. runs downstairs. Yes. And this guy goes nuts. So we hear him thundering after her. And she falls, and basically because of her fall, can't get to the front door. So she has to get to the closest door, Allison. That is the door to the basement. Oh, God. No. Go to front door. But luckily, she's able to get the door closed and locked. And we hear this guy, like, screaming okay. and throwing himself like an animal against the, uh, the door. And he screams until he stops. Luckily, the cops are speeding. Like, the cops have the lights on. All the cops are descending on the sorority house. Like, they're on their way. Yeah. So at least we got that going for us. Something. Um, we see Jess making her way through the basement, which is almost as cluttered as the attic. And we see a man sort of crouching down to look through the window of the basement. 
but it's kind of opaque glass, so we can't tell which man it is. And we see this figure of this man creep around the house while she's waiting in the dark with a fireplace poker. And then we finally see the man walk down the stairs to the cellar door. So there's like a full door leading up to stairs out. And it's Peter. But now Jess is so freaked out. She's like, is this guy the murderer? killing all of us? Is he here to kill me? Understandably, a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have you. Absolutely. And she sort of wipes on the glass to be like, are you in there, Jess? And then she punches the glass in. And that with that, Jess is like, oh, he's here to kill me. He punches in the glass? He, this guy's going to yeah. kill me. So, he, you know, she's hiding. And he's able to find her and says, why are you hiding from me? And she looks at him. Just then, the cops arrive as Jess starts screaming from the basement. Yes. They run to the front door and they break down the basement door. And they run to the cellar to find that Peter is dead. Oh, no. He's bleeding from his eyes and mouth and j- because Jess has beaten him to death with a fireplace poker, assuming he was here to kill me. <gasps> she she passes out. I mean, that's like all you can do. And they go and they take her and put her in bed and they, of course, hire an old-timey 70s doctor that injects her with a sedative. And, they say, and he says she's going to be out for, yes, for about four hours. Okay, great. And can the, I have that? Yeah, and so Filler and Nash and everyone's there, and they're like, I, I knew it was him. But then other cops are like, but why would he do all that? And what about Claire? Right. You know, and they're like, and they, and Mr. Harrison's there. And Mr. Harrison collapses because like, oh, great, so there's this going on, but also I still don't know where my daughter is. Right. And they find Phil and Barb's body. And if I'm Mr. Harrison, I'm assuming my daughter's dead, but they haven't found yeah. her. And they're like, well, we should tell, you know, Phil and Barb's parents and then tell Phil's boyfriend, Patrick. I'm like, oh, he just dressed up as Santa. Now he has to find out his girlfriend got brutally murdered. Aww. Poor Pat. Well, well happy, Merry Christmas to him, you know. Ugh, God. Um, and the media is also outside. It's a frenzy. The cops are trying to get the media away from the house. And Mr. Harrison, obviously overwhelmed, collapses. So the cops rush to take him to the hospital. And they tell him as they go, don't worry, Mr. Harrison. I'm sure Claire will be back. I'm sure of it. I guess you got to say something, but no, she's not. And in the hullabaloo, the cop that was supposed to stay in Jess's room leaves with them, leaving her alone, and they shut out the light to let her sleep. And they all leave the house, Allison. And we see the attic door open once again. Yeah. And we hear in the darkness the killer whisper, Hey, Agnes, it's me, Billy. And we end on Claire's plastic-wrapped face, glimmering in the Christmas lights, visible through the attic window from the street. So I'm like, well, I guess they'll they'll find her eventually when someone's walking by, like, hey, there's a corpse up there. Yeah. And then the phone starts ringing again. The end. So who's the killer? We don't know. Just like a guy. A madman. Wow. And I really like that choice. I like that. I I I re- I like that. Yeah, because I think in the uh, two thousand six Black Christmas, they give a little more backstory that you don't need. Like this to me was like, okay, this guy's crazy. He killed, molested, and or killed his younger sister. From the sounds of it, right? It's like, can't we just have like a mysterious killer? Yeah, and we get it. Keep it moving. Yeah, and I think that yeah, in the re- in this remake at least they kind of over explain it. It's like we don't need it. We don't need it. We it's just it. like, it's scarier without all of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this was, I thought, excellent. What are some fatal mistakes you think may have been made? Because there's a lot going on in, the, in Black Christmas. There's a lot happening. What are some fatal mistakes made in Black Christmas, Allison? Fatal mistakes. 
um, not having all the doors and windows locked in your home all the time. Yeah, huge problem. Gals. Huge problem. If, if, like, if he could have never gotten in to begin with, then maybe none of this would have happened. That's a really great point. I um, feel like if you... A mistake to keep that Sergeant Nash hired. Yeah, yeah. Bring in somebody else. And then also um, a fatal mistake for Peter and eventually Jess is her telling him before his audition because it did cause... It gave him a lot of time to be upset and for then them to think yes. that he was the killer and for her to think that he was after her when if she had just waited, perhaps he could have been, they, you know, maybe they could have been less suspicious. Yeah. Um, other than that, though, I mean, look. It was, you know, they called the cops at the right time. They were doing their best. Yes, I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's a sorority. Like, what else can you do? And that's, and, and everyone did do what they could do. Um, unfortunately, they... It's just hard if you if you don't know that you have an insane madman in your in your base in your attic, right? It's hard right. to know. How do you figure that yeah. out? You know, right? Right. You're gonna keep drinking. You're gonna be silly. You're it's gonna the like holidays. talk back to the weird phone call. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, where would you place Black Christmas 1974 on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I was gonna say like a. Five, but I think the ending brings it to a six for me. That's a very scary ending. Yeah, I agree. Um, like right, that really ups the spooky factor. I agree because um, I do feel like for me, I and I've said this before. I always find like a procedural element to make it less spooky. Like yeah. once you have the cops in, it's less scary. Though I think they did an excellent job of Keeping setting it, up. Yeah. Like hey, you can call the cops all you want. There's, it's not necessarily going to help. I'm going to yeah, give there's this a, a madman hiding in your attic. He's still going to kill you. Yeah, I'm going to give this a five. Yeah. That feels right. I'm give it a five. All right. Well, thank you for well, joining us. Cold um, month has kicked off. Stay warm or stay cool, stay depending. Warm. And depending on what day it is, really. Yeah, it changes all the time. And wherever you are in the country, doesn't even necessarily, like Texas, Nashville getting slammed with cold and snow. I mean, good luck, everybody. Yeah. Um, and uh, please, please keep, keep it spooky. spooky. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't forget to follow us at Ruin Podcast and Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for show updates. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Ruined is a Radio Point and Crooked Media production. We're your writers and hosts, Hallie Kiefer and Allison Leiby. The show is executive produced by Alex Box, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, and recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. From Crooked Media, our executive producer is Kendra James, with production and promotional support from Ari Schwartz, Kyle Sieglin, Julia Beach, Caroline Dunphy, and Awa Okalati. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.